Welcome back, everybody, to This Is My Bourbon Podcast. I'm your host, Perry. I'm not flying solo this week, although the Whiskey Mutant is taking a week off. I am super happy to be welcoming to the show, dear friend of This Is My Bourbon Podcast, longtime supporter, just all-around great guy, Brian Bikey, Mr. Abandoned Bourbon himself. Brian, I'm so happy you're here, dude. Hey, I'm happy to be here. You had me until the great guy part. I was, I was riding with you until that one. <laughs> Is that the questionable portion of the, That's the, the introduction? That's the questionable portion. That, yeah. Well, uh, you, you, you're married and you've got kids and they all seem pretty happy that you're, uh, <laughs> you're in their life. So That's right. I'll, uh, I'll chalk it up to a, to a win uh, as That's far right. as I'm concerned. But uh, we, have, uh, we, we wanted to build this episode off of a conversation that you and I have kind of been having intermittently over the past few weeks but it, it's it's one that i think is like i don't want to say controversial right now but i do think that there is a level of like people are grappling with what it means to be a bourbon enthusiast these mm-hmm. days so we're we're going to get to that um we are skipping uh, flying blind and uh, sips and snacks this week just because we're in different cities it wasn't you know it was kind of a time crunch getting everything together but uh, I'm gonna be just sipping on some turkey 101 until we get to our review um, so it, I mean that's <laughs> that's the thing that's in my glass but I do have to ask you Brian of course what have you been drinking recently Oh my gosh! What have I been drinking recently? <laughs> that's a tough. That's a tough one. I drink. I drink a lot of different stuff all the time. Um, I, I'm gonna. I. <laughs> I've been drinking <laughs> a lot. Way of, too off guard with this, dude. <laughs> well, you did. I was trying to figure out exactly which way I want to go. I, I was. There's one thing I was gonna say, and I'm like, well, I don't want to frustrate people and be like, oh, you pompous jerk. I can't drink that. So. Uh, Pride I of Anderson County. No, no, no. I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and say it then. It's not Pride of Anderson. So here's the deal. Um, I, Brian, this has no reflection on uh, this is my bourbon podcast. Um, I don't really like the Maker's Mark Cellar Aged, and so I keep coming back to this. I, I mean, 12, 13 times now. This yeah. is where the pitchforks come out and people turn off the podcast. I'm sorry, this is not sponsored by this member podcast. This is just Brian Buggy. Well, um, and I I just don't get it, man. I just am yeah. not a big fan of it. And so I've been coming back to it in order to see, like, is it the day? Is it something I've had? And that's not the case. But what I, I have been drinking Old Route 8 a lot from Augusta. I still have not had any yet. Oh, wait, no, no that's not true. I've had, I've had it once, but... I, I was pretty amazed with it the the one time that I had it, but yeah, I mean, I'll still I'll still be happy to accept. <laughs> it's solid. My my buddy um, Nick and I we've gotten together on I would probably say four different occasions with several different bottles just to do blinds to see like you know which ones are favorite today and you know he had shared it with his wife awesome. she's kind of trying to figure out still what she likes and she enjoys it Kristen enjoys it so it's just like it's just been it's just been good. I, I, on the topic of Maker's Cellar Aged, uh, mm-hmm. we did review it a, a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for anybody who hasn't listened to it, uh, please go do so. But um, I was 
I was pretty let down by it as well. Mm-hmm. And I I think I, I was I had a little bit of a sample left over that I shared with my dad um this past weekend. He's a big maker's mark guy. And the 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 consensus that I keep kind of coming back to is that it's just not different enough from maker's cask strength to really be anything worth $150 a bottle. Like I I would I would rather buy four bottles of cask strength than one bottle of cellar aged. The thing that keeps wrecking me, there's two I'm, I have two sides to this. One so I went and did the, they have an experience where, you know, they take you around and then they, they let you try cellar aged, which mm-hmm. for those who don't know, it is maker's mark. Once they fin- they talk about like, they're all about when the product hits its flavor balance. When it, and so when they it's basically ready. take, they basically take it and they say, we're going to sit it and not let it age anymore in a cave. Hashtag not a cave. And it's it's a cave that they're legally not a cult not allowed to call a cage. They call it call a cellar, but hashtag not a cave. And if you can't go spelunking in it, then it's not really a cave. That's right. And they let Bourbon it sit spelunking. there until it's ready. But on the tour, I don't know if it was just a bad day for the person who was showing us, but they're like, "Well, here's the the twelve and thirteen year old cellar aged, and this is a." stupid 12 year old barrel that's been aging in the rick house and this isn't makers and you're going to try them side by side and they're like so the what? first one they give us is the not makers and they're like so here try this and let you know what you think but it doesn't matter because this isn't makers and it doesn't reach flavor balance and we'll never release it what do you guys think and i'm like this is pretty good and they're like it's not makers and it will never be makers because it doesn't meet the flavor balance i'm like oh that's a shame because it's pretty good they're like now try the cellar age so i'm like well, that's fine, <laughs> but I like the other one. Like, well, it doesn't matter because that's never going to be makers. And I don't understand that. I don't. Like, well, they, somebody like, told we'll them the wrong like, thing. <laughs> like, well, it just tastes like everything else. It doesn't taste like makers, and I can understand that argument. But that's what I like about it. It tastes, it tastes oaky and and well aged, and sure, it's a little bit more tannic, so it doesn't meet flavor balance. But in their eyes, but I thought arguably it was better. But at the same time, here's the weird one. So the Bourbon Pursuit guys, they're across the hall. They got a sample in of William LaRue Weller. And so I was like, well, let me just do a little side-by-side because several of my friends who are big fans of Cellar Age, they're like, to me, this tastes like all the things I like about Weller. So I taste mm, the Maker's Mark I don't get that. the other day. And I said, again, it just tastes like Maker's Mark. And then I tried the William Lou Weller and I went, hold on, this tastes the exact same. And I went back to the makers and I'm like, this is the exact same. And then I went to the huh. Weller and I'm like, this is the exact same. So if I taste the makers on its own, it tastes like makers. If I taste the William Lou Weller on its own, it tastes pretty good. It tastes like, you know, what I would expect from William Lou Weller or, or, you know, cherries and chocolate and old age, um, but there's something about tasting them back and forth where I'm like, these are indistinguishable That's when I'm so tasting wild. them back and forth. I think maybe this year's William LaRue probably tastes like what you wished makers would taste like. Mm. So, but given the taste back and forth, I'm like, okay, but that, that in of itself is a win for makers Mark Cellar age because 
when you're when you're in the middle of some type of sipping, the flavor is indistinguishable. I just, just don't really care for it. I, I I wanted to like it so much more than mm-hmm. I do, but yeah, it's just it it it's kind of it's just not as interesting as it needs to be. It just is not. It doesn't pop the way that I think everybody talks like it it does but it, it's funny that you bring up because we we got a sample of the wlw as well and we were much more favorable with that than we were the uh the maker seller aged i'd be curious for you to give a try that i would love to hear your thoughts if you do just do a quick back and forth sometime you don't have to do it now but if you do that'd be awesome because we've already I, lost I, half the listeners anyway well, so, fair. yeah, <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm we bring kidding. we bring you on and the numbers plump. No, that's not true at all. Um, I'll have to find another sample of the cellar aged because um, everything that we were running off of was just sourced from listeners. So sure. If you um, get a chance, I'd just be curious to hear your thoughts on it. I yeah, was super no, I'd, surprised. I'd, by I'd that. Be, I would I'd really like to do that for sure. As as far as what I've been drinking um, on my live stream last night, I went through bunch of samples that I had had sitting around. One of them, uh, which I was not, I, I was not prepared for, and I don't know who sent this to me, uh, but it's a, uh, like one of the really fancy Corvassier cognacs. Um, mm. It's like a thousand dollars a bottle. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> or something. And I mean, they sent me in, you know, an ounce of it. And it was, I'm not a like a particularly big cognac person, but I like cognac. I like Armagnac. Um, yeah. And I was pretty stunned by it, especially for that, you know, 80 proof distilled grape <laughs> mm. liquor, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with it. I'll keep saying it. If bourbon and rye suddenly disappeared, I would go to Armagnac in a heartbeat. You know, oh, yeah. if I don't I, get if to I try enough to... cognacs and armagnacs, but I always like when I do. I keep telling myself I don't I I don't want to get into another hop. I don't want another thing. You <laughs> That's know what I mean? The to other add thing to it. Too. Yeah. I'd rather the, just stick with bourbon. It's not even like it's the poor man's anything anymore. You know what I mean? It's expensive yeah. still. So, you know, uh for bourbon that is. So it's like I don't want to add another thing to it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh but aside from that, uh managed to pick up a bottle of the Larceny C923 recently mm. and uh really been a big fan of that uh that i think that heaven heaven hill has finally figured out what they need to need to do with those barrel proof uh larceny releases every year uh they've kind of finally gotten themselves on the right path uh here's the this is a this is a hot take potentially but like so i you know it's you were recording and people will you know it's it's getting close into the middle of November. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been going back through the things that I have on my lists of like top mm-hmm. things for the year and kind of placing those things. And then I think I was in conversation with somebody the other day and it was, it was just such a great comment. I don't think they meant it like in a mean way or anything like that. They were just like, yeah, some of these people, you know, they'll, they'll make these top lists. And I think they forget that people don't just drink, uh, don't just drink bourbon that releases that year. Like I, he didn't mean it as a, as a, as a, a snooty comment or anything, but like, yeah. you know, I think about that too every year and I'm like, man, that's a great, you know, as I reflect back and think about bottles that I, that I love and still come to in 2018, 2019, I think sometimes it's interesting because we kind of get caught up in like 
these are the bottles you need now. You can only drink these now. What do you mean you're not drinking something released in 2023 now? And someone's like, dude, I love this Joseph Magnus cigar blend that I got in 2020. Right. I'm still drinking it. You know, right. Just because it's not the year anymore doesn't mean they didn't produce, doesn't mean those bottles yeah. weren't still good. I, I I don't disagree with that. I always just try to focus on um, what what just came out this year. But mm-hmm. I, I do appreciate people because like Chad and Sarah at Spurban Night for a while, they might still be doing it. I don't remember. Uh, but when they do their uh, when they've been doing their top 10 lists or top whatever lists, they'll throw in like, you know, regularly available bottles like, mm-hmm. you know, Rare Breed did super well for a few years in a row um, up against a lot of the, you know, more recent releases. But you know, I, I I don't think it's a bad idea by any means. It's just right. I, I guess I like doing the doing things the way I've been doing things. <laughs> totally. Like I, I, said, mean, I, I also it, do not like change. <laughs> yeah. When they mentioned it, I don't think there was any. Again, there was there was no hate. There was no like oh, dogging yeah, on anybody. I just I just it was interesting perspective because every year I I'm I'm one of those people who are like, what's been great this year? What's been whatever? And I'm like, oh, that's right. Like. If you're not hyper focused on this, if you're just a if you're just a consumer, if you just love listening to people talk about like you might not care, you might not care. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I, enthusiasts are silly. We're silly sometimes. <laughs> we're we're a difficult and uh, and uh, confusing breed of of people, I would say, and uh, that that's what we're getting into on on this week's episode is in 2023 and and beyond as we are coming to a close on this year what does it mean what does it look like to be a bourbon enthusiast nowadays because mm-hmm. we're having perspectives come to light um from people like bourbon pursuit saying the daily drinker is dead and then on the complete opposite end of the spectrum we have this increase of ultra 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 premium offerings Mm -hmm. uh that are coming about that you know five ten years ago people were not as willing to spend that kind of money on Right. And so I I think maybe first we ask ourselves, well, what does it even really mean to be a bourbon enthusiast at all? Is mm-hmm. it somebody who does have a daily drinker or they're waiting in line at Total Wine <laughs> for the next big drops? Or mm-hmm. what does that, you know, just in general, how do how do the two of us view the idea of a bourbon enthusiast. Yeah, that's a great question. I would say it's fairly safe that everyone listening to this podcast is a bourbon enthusiast, but no, I, so (laughs) I remember, um, what, you know, I'm born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. I lived outside of it for about, I don't remember 11 or 13 years before moving back up in 2016. And I was not big on bourbon. And a year or so into that, I, I was like, hey, I probably should get into 
get into bourbon. And I had a buddy who I knew because we had musical interests and I sold him a coffee grinder and he was coming through Louisville and we met up. I don't remember if that's, uh, yeah, he, he met up and he was coming with his wife and was hitting distilleries and, and hitting stores for, for whiskey. And I didn't know what it was. You know, we shared blade and bow on, mm. uh, on the back patio of the spot that I worked at. And I remember being like, wow, this is, this is cool. This is interesting. I wonder if there's other bourbons I would like. And I went to total wine and I picked one up. I, I got a Woodford double oaked, you know? So I was at that time, I would say I was learning to get into whiskey, but I was not a bourbon enthusiast. Whereas my buddy who had made this trip from South Carolina to hit some places up, he's hit bourbon enthusiast. So, so now I got to figure out where the definition then begins in the middle of that. You know, right. what, what is it that would create that definition that now they're enthusiast? Is it because it, I don't think it's that they have more than 10 whiskey. I think people can just enjoy whiskey and have a, have a collection. You know, I don't think it's that. I think, I think it's, I don't know. I'd love to, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I, I think that it ranges anywhere from people are aware that you like bourbon and are a frequent consumer of it all the way up to bourbon is my personality, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And, and by that, I mean like the people who eat, sleep, pray, love the whole nine yards, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, not even Kentucky purely, but like that is, their thing that's the same way that people are with with golf same way people are with model trains you know like all all across the board i think that it's the the people who have really adopted it and adapted it into their their person you know for better for better or worse but you know i i think that on the on the opposite end of the spectrum you know, even even if you're like the guy who is known for, well, when we go out, Steve gets, you know, uh, Taylor Small Batch neat or whatever, or Buffalo Trace, just you know, something people more readily know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buffalo Trace neat, and you know, sometimes he'll go crazy and he'll get Turkey One Hundred One and a High Life on the side. You know, and that's his, mm-hmm. you know, but like he's the bourbon guy of the of the group. So I think that there's that. And this guy is also like, I don't mean to just, you know, pigeonhole it as a guy. Um, but this this person is also open to trying new bourbons and mm-hmm. they're curious about how it's made and they're curious about, you know, the the way that it interacts with them. They, they have a deeper kind of understanding and connection to it that say somebody who is just drinking bourbon to get drunk doesn't have, Mm -hmm. you know, like there there's, I think, I think that's the distinguishing factor as well. There's more of an, an an appreciation for it as opposed to just a straight up, like, this is my vice. This is what I, you know, use to, (laughs) relax and 
uh, stop feeling the bad feelings that I feel during the day. I like it when you mentioned too that it like becomes a, just a little bit more of the person that doesn't have to go crazy. But like you know, I got I got one friend that he works in an industry where he's probably gifted. You know, he's gifted bourbon probably. You know that that just seems like the gift to give in this particular industry. So he's got a bunch of bourbon and he'll bring it up. And I think he like appreciates it, but I don't think he really, you know, it's like he, he enjoys some. He doesn't probably think about it all that much. Yeah. And he's got several, you know, I wouldn't call him an enthusiast. He probably enjoys it. So it's like, yeah, it's got to, you got to, you got to suck a little bit of that inside and say, oh, I've got, I've got in, once you start getting the intrigue, then you're probably, you know, growing into enthusiast. Yeah. So in, in, you know, I think you take that like inception point and then it goes off in all these different directions. You know, the guy who's the collector, the guy who is making content, the guy who, like I said, he's at every release and it's his personality. And, Mm -hmm. you know, but then we, we dial it back now. And I think this is just kind of like, I, I, I hate, I hazard to or I hesitate rather excuse me to like apply that definition a hundred percent of the way across the board I don't I, you know I'm not trying to say this is like gospel or anything but I do think that we can kind of largely agree on like that's a fair definition of what being a bourbon enthusiast means mm-hmm. right yeah but then again we dial back and we start looking at the discourse right now around who bourbon enthusiasts are mm-hmm. and the way that they engage with the spirit yeah. too. So I'll ask you this, as far as like the wider bourbon enthusiast <laughs> community, I guess, what do you see that's changed the most over the past five, 10 years? Uh, in the industry itself or with the enthu- with enthusiasts or I would say more specifically with enthusiasts. I think before five years ago, if somebody was a bourbon enthusiast and they bought a bottle, they more than likely had plans to open it and consume it. Mm. And okay. I think nowadays in a bourbon enthusiast would probably be more speculated as somebody now in in potentially interchangeable with tater that that people use all the time right i i think a lot of enthusiasts now because the industry has exploded i think that people think that there's so much coming out that they have to have to to quell the enthusiasm that their acquisition could be higher than their potential to drink. And not that that hasn't been the case a long time ago. I just think if somebody went and they shelfered Weller, they would drink shelfer Weller. If they got, you know, BTAC when it was readily available or, you know, easily gotten from the store, they, they most likely planned to drink it because it had accessibility. The, the lack of accessibility met with people's increasing enthusiasm i think has has impacted a lot of hoarding and sure. and over collecting even if they weren't planning to be the collector i know a lot of people who like don't seem to be the collector but 
the, but there's a cool pick coming out or, you know, my buddy yeah. said this was good yeah. or I was on the bourbon trail <laughs> and they still amass things that, you know, that they don't probably intend to get to or their palate <laughs> has, they end up de- developing it more than, yeah you know, what level it is of acquisition or something like that. But. So, so to me, that sounds like there has now become a distinct divide between purposeful bourbon collecting or intentional bourbon collecting and passive bourbon hoarding. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I think that we in, in an age where everybody is so connected as well and, and information is so easily accessible. And I think like, you know, for me at least thinking about the bourbon enthusiast being uh, more and more informed as the, as time goes by with more accessibility to information. Um, the looser this, like <laughs> the looser this definition of enthusiasm becomes, um, yeah. you know, uh, the guy who can't stop talking about it, the person who's, you know, constantly on their phone looking at unicorn auctions or, or whatever, like it, it's, it's just taken so many different forms nowadays that it, it it is kind of hard to pin down exactly what we mean when we say well bourbon enthusiast but i i i like that we are also taking the time to like have this conversation well and here's something let me say this too because regardless of what direction we go with this podcast this hits uh and i think you'll appreciate on what kind of sparked the inception of this podcast a little bit here's here's what's interesting you know it, there's also a downside about people like you and I on this podcast right now talking about this because you and I are still very, um, very similar in a, in specific to being on this podcast. You and I both are in a space where we 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 obviously both have nice microphones in front of us. We're no we're no stranger to talking about whiskey. We're in Kentucky. Um, we're familiar with newer releases and. Th- I um I appreciate some of like some of the the influencers online when they have like the after conversation things because you because the the voice I feel like you don't often get to hear is like someone in Montana, someone in Minnesota, wherever you know, wherever it is, and they're like, I always hear people who have access to all the things telling me about all the things. And that's not necessarily my perspective. And like being an in, uh, an enthusiast is different for me because I don't have access to X, Y, and Z or yeah people whose budgets are different and this is this is no knock on us but like i i appreciate um i i wish that we had more people on this topic with us because i'd love to hear more people define enthusiasm and access for them because um i think that we're going to nail some really interesting things but I, I wish that there was a broader understanding to get things because there are other times when a gaggle of people will still get together and it will seem like there's a lot of differing voices. But like <laughs> I mentioned, leading this <laughs> statement off, they're actually more similar, I would say, than different. And that's yeah. all safe right now. 
yeah we'll we'll peel back the curtain more and more as time goes on when you when you brian look at your understanding personally of your enthusiasm for Mm -hmm. bourbon and for the bourbon market how much of that enthusiasm do you feel like has been maintained throughout the years and i mean specifically like you know that that kind of like homeostasis level of like i'm really enjoying what's happening right now bourbon's great the community's cool like i got access to all of these you know and you know scaling back to like that access comment as well you know there's still so many things that we can get um pretty easily even though we're not getting like the allocated releases uh as more commonly as some people would be led to believe we do in Kentucky we just don't um but like are, are do do you have a baseline for that anymore has that goalpost shifted along the way as well i don't think it's shifted all that much if anything i feel like um you know, I've I've tried to just kind of learn the things that I like. The biggest thing, and it it, it hits a little bit on what I mentioned before. I, sometimes I think about whether or not I'd be able to be, if I would still be a bourbon enthusiast if I didn't live where I live. Like I think being in Kentucky and having access to the stuff that we do here is like it's been a huge privilege. It's been great to be able to access or go to a distiller to try something when it, when it releases or a bar they might have it at an affordable price. Like. I don't know that I would be the level that I was if I wasn't in the circumstances and in the place that I am. And so I often think, you know, if I were to be out of this, and that's why I, you know, I mentioned that thing about folks who aren't in those kind of microcosms. It's like if I, if I was, um, if I had moved somewhere, how would my ability to keep up with the bourbon industry and the things that I like, um, how would that be able to be maintained? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, except for like, having a ton of stuff that you just continue to like drink down. <laughs> it's like stuff that you like, right? There's like that side of it. But in terms of like going back to keeping up and, and keeping in the know, it would be a lot. I would feel like it'd be a lot more difficult. It is. I think more tiresome nowadays to, to keep up so be- much because there is so much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's, I think it's another argument in favor of people like Dave Jennings, who did find so much love and in, in a niche market for just talking about one brand with Turkey 101, or excuse me, Wild Turkey and the Rare Bird 101 brand as it is now. Because I mean, that's a that is a brand now, too. I mean, it's it's crazy that he's been able to establish all that but it 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 is to me like i think it is easier to say well i'm only going to focus on the new jim beam releases or mm-hmm. only the the mainstream releases or you take the alternate route and you go i'm just going to do craft stuff like mm-hmm. that's a super important part of this as well too that i think people are more quick to dismiss or overlook um, at times, but you know, you being somebody who works with Sealbox too, I mean, surely there, there is a level of enthusiasm that has been changed or shifted with what you have more like 
access to, I suppose, but also just exposure to as well. Totally. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's something I didn't even, I didn't think that I would appreciate, I didn't know that I'd appreciate it as much as I do. But then even, you know, I have a buddy who was super diehard Turkey fan, right? And before actually the limited product started to come out really, you know, at a, at a, at a rapid pace seemingly, and the price is higher. So, you know, he kind of got out and got into craft and I was, I just thought that was so interesting, so weird. And I think he was just like, well, the price is to get old Turkey, like vintage Turkey. I can't keep up with that. And it's getting allocated now and it's these limited releases and now they're jacking up the price. Like he chose a good time. I don't necessarily know that what he's going to get is going to be as comparable, but enjoyability. Yeah, for sure. And I, that's why I just, this isn't exactly the question that you were, that you were hitting on, but you know, my hope always is that we can help people find what they like, regardless of what that is, because if you find what you like, sometimes you don't need to keep up with all the stuff. Or if you do, you can help filter it out to say, well, well, that sounds interesting and it'd be cool to try that sometime, but does it align with what I like? And that's why I think the people that you listen to for their opinions like I try and do a lot of research to figure out who aligns with what I like because there are so many voices and they're trying so many things. But when you can cut through and say, there's a couple that I trust for these reasons, it'll be a lot easier for you, regardless of whether you have access to something or not, to say, well, is that something that I should actually have FOMO over instead of thinking everything that I should when there's so much released that it's like you will die if you if you try and acquire everything that's being thrown at us these days. Yeah. I I want to I want to go a little bit inside baseball on that point. Yep. as well. Because I have done a bad job. I I will I will just admit I've done a bad job of keeping up with people whose palettes I do relate to or find value in because I'm doing so much of that legwork now yeah, that I like <laughs> kind of um, not, not selfishly, but just kind of like boastfully. And it's not, it's not even exactly that. It's just this notion of like, well, I trust my palette. For right. Sure. I, I understand it's one of the only it. things you can I, trust, right? Yeah, exactly. And and like being and kind of just resigning myself to well, I I know what I like. Mm-hmm. And to some degree uh and and you know, I'm not saying that this is 100% true. I know that there are people who definitely disagree with me. I'm not saying it's it's, you know, uh, entirely accurate either, but like in my limited scope I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of like what is good mm-hmm. too, right? Oh, I've been sure. doing I've been doing this for 6 years. I've developed my palette. People can go back to the first few episodes, even first like 100 episodes and see, you know, how things have changed since then because they they have. But I I do admittedly need to spend more time being less of a um less of a bourbon uh influencer even though i don't really consider myself that and scaling it back to more of like 
and I'm 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 constantly trying to like work on that and trying to find uh the you know what made things the what what sparked it all in the beginning anyway mm-hmm. um and trying to to rest on some more of those like enthusiasm parts of the the bourbon brain i guess yeah going back to even what you said about trusting your own palate you know it could even be so brand specific like i'm a huge four roses fan and it, but you know four roses is a tricky brand because they actually they use a they have a bunch of different recipes and yep. you know even in that i can't even just take another four roses enthusiast's opinion on a barrel as like oh i should like that because i have one guy and i'm like we are we couldn't be further apart like he likes the younger the the zippy sugary ones and i'm like no i like the oak, oak stuff but going back to the the point too about um it's not where you landed, but but where you had started off with that conversation. Like, take ADHD whiskey for example. Like, I don't have time very much to watch all of his content, but for for my personal palate, I feel as if he and I align pretty closely at how we rate, and so I appreciate his ratings. I actually keep sure. a running list of bottles that I'm interested in hearing his thoughts are and what he scores them, and I usually put it on there and go, "Well, dag on!" Like. He's pretty like he's pretty right on. Like I think that it's better than these bottles, but not as good as these bottles as well. And and having that palette that I trust is helpful because like if there's something I haven't tried, it's good to say, well, I really liked Heaven Hill 17, and but he scored that up here. And he put this one like all the way in the sevens. Like, okay, well, if it wasn't at least an eight, like it, maybe I don't, you know, in you know, he aligns with us on Maker's Mark. I think he had the Makers like in the sevens for the oh, solar wow. aged. Wow. And, um, you know, again, I, I'm not saying that him. I'm not saying that way. But, you know, that I I think that there are people who would say that about you and why they listen to the podcast too, right? There are sure. People who oh, yeah, of course. Trust your all's opinion too. Yeah. And, and I'm I'm just always thankful that people would would have folks that they're like, hey, I, hey, if I needed to to get opinions – I trust what they're going to say about these sorts of things and and that th- that eventually people would learn to develop their own on an enthusiasm you, level to not yeah. just take the words and actually not just say, I would like this, so I'm buying it for my shelf. I would like this, so I'm putting in my collection. But they say, I'm I'm getting this because... It will align with what I want, and I'm ready yeah. for a new, something else. And it does meet that. So, you know, you, you, you know what I, what I also am so cautious of now, um, because I do know that I'm susceptible. Excuse me to like, if say Chad and Sarah get a sample of something before I have the chance to try it, um, I typically do align pretty pretty well with what it's bourbon night says in their reviews my problem too is that if i if i listen to or if i watch reviews tasting notes comments about a product before i myself actually get to try it i wind up parroting a lot of what i've already heard Mm -hmm. so for me it's better to just kind of go in Without, because I don't, I mean, I don't really rate, read tasting notes anymore either. 
you know, because I don't <laughs> until I'm done, until I've I've finished a review, until I've gone right. through right. it, put it through all its paces. Um, just because it's more it's more important to me to take that time with it and and really get to know it and get to understand it and be excited about it or or not or you know find all of the flaws uh within my own little like controlled environment um you know and and then i'll go and i'll watch other reviews or listen to other reviews like um sure i'm trying to think of one i'll tell you one too i i as for as much like uh, adoration for and respect as I, I give to Fred Menick, who, you know, in so many ways has been a, a mentor to me over the past however many years. Um, I, I don't I don't align with his palette on a mm. lot of things. There was one particular release. I think it was. <sighs> I think it might have been an Elijah Craig barrel proof release where I was all jazzed about it and I was so happy and I went and like watched his review and he was like, this just isn't it. And mm-hmm. I was like, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> this mm-hmm. is, this isn't it. But like, you know, it all just goes to saying, you know, my journey as a bourbon enthusiast is so much different. And, and even outside of like the podcasting side of things, being a content creator within the bourbon verse, the bourbon sphere is such a different animal from just being a consumer or just right. being a collector. Those those two things, while they do, there is there is an overlap on that Venn diagram. I'd say nine times out of ten, um, the the focus is so different, and and this is very in the weeds. Um, I I feel like, but like. I guess what I what I the core of what I'm trying to get at is just that my journey as a bourbon enthusiast has taken so many different twists and turns and dips and dives and rises over the past 6 years that yeah I do I do trust my palate mm-hmm. I do try to rely more on my own experience but I also have to remind myself there's a community behind this as mm-hmm. well. And the community really is what got me as excited about being a bourbon enthusiast as the spirit itself did. Yeah, I would, I mean, you didn't exactly, you weren't heading this direction, but, you know, an influencer with the with the type of content that's going out right now, I feel like is like one of the most dangerous grounds to be in because one, brands know that it's cheap to get you a product to get you to, to advertise for them. And so you got tons of that out there, which may or may not have misinformation, but not a lot of people do a good enough job to clarify that. Mm-hmm. And then the type of content that's going on going on out there is, you know, frankly, it's a lot of stupid filler <laughs> content given how little time that we really have and like how much stuff's going on out there that that it, it's what our it's like what we kind of want to like just veg out on, but like of all the time that we could have for productive trying to figure out things that we like, we go to things that like they're just it's it's a sometimes I feel like a lot of waste. And I feel like just adds more confusion to yeah. trying to figure out what you like as an enthusiast. And in a lot of ways too, does does 
create a separation with community. Not always, but a lot of times can. I, I think it's important to bring up as well the... Well, two... Okay, two things in particular. One, bourbon influencing. It, it And I mean, this is the same with anything. But it doesn't... <laughs> It doesn't exist without the enthusiasm that people have for it in the first mm-hmm. place, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you 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 look at somebody like, um, and I'm not I'm not calling I'm not calling him out specifically because of the shift that his content has taken over the past couple of years, but I do think that it's a good uh, it's a good case study at the very least for how symbiotic this this relationship between bourbon consumers and bourbon influencers is uh but like brusel on on youtube uh his content was it, it was largely focused on just the wider alcohol industry mm-hmm. right beer vodka other spirits and then you know bourbon's taking off and so he shifted to bourbon content mm-hmm. and people <laughs> are still jazzed about bourbon right now. And so they latch on to what he's doing. And because he sees that they're latching on to him, he's doing more bourbon content. And it's just this cycle that keeps perpetuating itself that I think, too, is so indicative of the thing that I keep going back to about distilleries and uh, distributors and and companies that have stock or, or stakeholders in bourbon. They see the trends. They see where people are putting their money and then they, they chase after that as well. Mm-hmm. They go after it. And so our energy gets diverted so much or diluted so much because there are so many different brands now or brands that have been around for a long time legacy brands that are now doing insane new releases insane new labels and charging four or five hundred dollars for it and it's just it's a very you know the it, it it can't it it exists so much within a vacuum that if one thing leaks, the whole thing wouldn't exist at all, right? right? So, I I I think it's important just to notice too that like, and to and to kind of accept, like yeah, we have a lot of enthusiasm as as creators, as content creators, as influencers, whatever you want to call us, we have so much energy and excitement and enthusiasm and care and love for this spirit that we want to see it thrive and survive. Right. And so it it's it, it goes beyond I think <laughs> the the constant barrage of single barrels or the debate over what is a daily drinker anymore, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Do we want to go into the daily drinker thing? 
I mean, we can. I, th- I say we, I mean, I say we pocket, do. You're driving I know, this bus. I'm, I'm well, just, and I'm not trying to like. I'm just hanging out the window. <laughs> I'm not trying to like. I. Uh, this is not out of a sense of like trying to uh, start anything or like cause bad blood, but you know, the the impetus I think for this conversation between the two of us was the bourbon round table uh, from a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. where uh, bourbon pursuit posed the the question is the daily drinker dead? And I just don't think it is. (laughs) I don't think it is. Um, I've spoken for a, a really long time. I want to give you the chance to uh, respond to some things as well. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that I don't know that I have anything specifically to respond to with, you know, with with your you know closing up that that thought um, necessarily. Um, it's it's just interesting time. Everything's interesting right now. Um, but I have thoughts on where you were going if yeah you, let's you just want to keep going let's just keep going man let's keep going i mean for it. so there's no bad blood kind of going into this conversation but one of the things that you and i mainly discussed and i'm sure we'll we'll keep elaborating as as we go out but it actually the the core of what we were taught where we were discussing was actually less about the the topic in general it was more so, I think I called you up and said, hey, I've got an idea for a name of a podcast. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> which was, I actually don't remember the name of it. If you do, then you could jump in with it. But it was basically, um, how, if you are so far removed from the enjoyment or as we started this podcast, the enthusiastic, the bourbon enthusiast side of things, if, if you have shifted a position in the industry and you no longer have the passion, the enjoyment of it, does that have implications on how present your voice should be when discussing topics such as, is the daily drinker dead? Because, again, you know, you and I are talking about this mainly. Now, while, you know, I do work with a brand that's in the industry, I feel like my, my thought process on this is, as somebody who wants to hear other people have discussions like this, if it's someone who is not regularly still curious about what producers are doing or what these new releases are doing, and not for purely from a PL level, a case volume level, I'm talking like I still hunt. I still like sure, to go. Yeah go after yeah bourbon if the only whiskey i try is because whiskey is sent to me can i speak on behalf of but can i speak on the topic of is the daily drinker dead that was kind of where we came from and you know i actually you know i i don't my answer this is probably different than yours on the daily drinker side of things anyway because I'm an explorative, explorative drinker. I am with yeah. coffee. I am with bourbon. And like, I, I don't have a daily drinker because I I personally like to hop around. Um, and, but yeah, I, I, I will, I will pass it back to you if you want to keep going and then we could just yeah. keep chatting about it. Um, so <laughs> I, 
<laughs> You're like, I'm Brian, trying to pick- I wanted you to talk more so no, I didn't have to it's, have the it's mic not, back. <laughs> it's not that. I'm trying to figure out how I want to approach this because I do come at this, I think, with one of the more... Uh, middle of the not not that like my opinion is mid but just like a more middle of the road point of view because mm-hmm. to to me a big part of the way that I engage with the with my own content is still being an experiential bourbon drinker right so and and it's not to say that i'm like taking every weekend and going to distilleries and doing their tours or seeing what they've got on the shelf buying their holiday bottles or or whatever it, it's just like if if my relationship with bourbon begins and ends with me sitting in the chair in front of a microphone, then I personally think that I have done myself a disservice in being able to speak about the broader audience of bourbon consumers. You could talk about it from a logistical standpoint, as a matter of fact, as things that you like, like from, from what you've seen within the industry, but what you're saying is being able to relate to somebody on a, on a personal enthusiasm level when it's just bare bones, like doing, doing the grind, doing the job. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. somebody, somebody asked Fred a couple of years ago at this point on one of his live streams, what gets you excited for for new bourbon releases or about bourbon anymore? And it, it always kind of like made me sad, his his response, which was, I just don't. He's like, I just don't get excited about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Because he gets excited about family stuff. He gets excited about, you know, seeing his kids and home life and working on himself. And like I'm not saying and that's that not I bad. Don't. Like, preface, no, that's not a bad thing that's at all. Great. <laughs> that's it's wonderful. And and I and I agree with that as well. I mean, I, you know, I'm spending a weekend away from my wife and daughter and it it's killing me, you know, every mm-hmm. second that I don't get to see them. But like, I, I don't I don't know if like that distinction needs to be made. And mm-hmm. maybe it's just a, a like Maybe it's just like an energy well thing. Like how much energy do you have in a particular pool that you can pull from, right? Yeah. And I don't know, maybe I am spreading myself too thin. I probably am. <laughs> Working a full-time job and doing the podcast and being a husband and being a dad. Like, you know, but at the same time, it doesn't take away my excitement for new products for the thrill of the hunt or or just getting to try anything new like i i'm i'm one of those people too 
where to me, the opportunity to be able to try something is almost more valuable than getting to own a bottle of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and, and that's not to say that I don't still <laughs> I don't still have those bottles where I put them up on the shelf and I go, wow, look at that. I got no, we that all do. Bottle. I mean, I got some of Yeah, exactly. Too. Exactly. It, it, it happens. But it it just is like I I derive so much enjoyment from sharing and it, having those experiences with other people that it's not just a like new release thing. But I do get yeah. excited about new releases. And I do get excited about like how is it going to fit into my my broader understanding of bourbon and 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 you know did i love maker cellar aged no but that doesn't mean that i don't find appreciation for how that slots into my my understanding of who i am as a bourbon drinker right and it doesn't mean it's bad it just means that exactly you you don't like it you know what i mean so and and like i think two things that kind of came out of you know in in us bringing up that topic was like well if you if you've gotten to a place where like you just don't drink if you don't have to now for health reasons, I understand that. But if you don't, because you're like, I, I just, I don't need to. I don't to. enjoy it. I don't want to. Yeah. If you yeah. don't enjoy it, it's work for you. Then it's like, does that affect your ability to be an enthusiast? And then the second part of that was if you haven't liked anything that you have had in a reasonable amount of time, like one, that stinks. Like, why are you, why would, why even do that? But then two, I'm not saying that there is a, a a lifetime that's like, I haven't found anything that reminds me of X again. Therefore, I am no longer, you know, and an, an considered an enthusiast. But it's like, I mean, come on, really? If you haven't found something like not a single pour you've had in two years is good. You're still hanging on a 2010 something release or like, you know, an old gold bottle happy or something and being like just whiskey just sucks these days like that are you a bourbon enthusiast do we need to step back for a second and clarify that this is not a direct criticism of bourbon pursuit no because i I just want to i just want to i just want to say that like no 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 no. this this is not this is not a single person (laughs) thing this is a this is a general thing like i've talked with other people too and you know you know even kind of one of the things i mentioned earlier like I feel like some of my thoughts sometimes can teeter on it because sometimes I could think to myself, man, if I were to think about something that's been a trend or something that's interesting, you know, I think that releases of of the my top favorite pours in 2019, I enjoyed more of my favorites then than what are on my list the last couple of years. Like sure. there are a couple of bottles that are awesome and a lot of just things that I'd be like are just fine. Maybe yeah. I'm maybe I'm heading in the direction that we're talking about right now. But um, maybe not. But there's sometimes there are people who are just like, nah, man, again, yeah, no, 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 not, not specific to any person. But there are sometimes there are people who are like, just whiskey, you know, just not, just not good anymore. And you're like, oh, well, I don't know. Why like, try or like what, what that's, that sucks. I don't Now It is still true that things taste different now. And trends are here now that they weren't before. You got to put Ambarana in everything. You got to, you know, wine cask this. You got to whatever. Like, um, it's all the same mash bill from the same place or it's all young. Like, I I get the reasons as to why someone would say 
it's different than before. Yeah. That's not exactly what we're hitting at. It's just like, man, if you just if you just aren't a fan, yeah, then how does that play into the way that you talk with other enthusiasts about things that are currently happening in the industry? I think that's what I'm you know. Yeah, and I I think what part of what you are getting at too is there there's a a an opportunity for exploration that we are kind of given with all of these different brands right now too mm-hmm. and that to me speaks to you know if you do go through those those processes of i i tried all these brands and i don't like them compared to the stuff that got me excited about bourbon in the first place. I'm yeah. not saying that stuff, like you said, it does taste different now than it used to, but Knob Creek small batch is still pound for pound an incredible bourbon. Turkey yeah. 101 is still a really solid, incredible bourbon. There are all of these little pockets and, 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 nooks and crannies that you can look at from the the perspective of well i tried all this i got into this really because i liked xyz even though i didn't like abc i can still go back to xyz and know that i am going to find comfort and reliability within that yeah i think i'm more talking like if someone who doesn't even go they just they don't like ABC and they and still they just don't give go up. back to XYZ. Yeah. They just, and they just, give they just up. would rather just talk about how bad ABC is. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that to, that to me is like, you're not even a bourbon enthusiast at that point. You're a bourbon critic, you yeah. know? And, and you're not doing it because you love it. You're doing it because it's fun for you to talk about how much you hate everything. Mm-hmm. That's what I think that's what you're, you're getting at, kind of. Right. And like, I don't think that the daily drinker is dead. I don't. I think Mm -hmm. that people have favorites that they fall back on. Yeah. I think they have bottles that they are replenishing outside of their collection. You know, maybe it's on your bar cart or it's on your, your kitchen counter or whatever. But, you know, when that bottle's gone, you're like, oh, you know, I need to go restock. Mm -hmm. And I think like that speaks to people's enthusiasm, even if it is just for a bottle. It's still something that you go back to because you love it and you are excited about it. And, you know, you want to share it with other people, too. And, you know, that's how you get some of those like. Well, what's your daily drinker? Uh, it's uh, old old Bardstown bottled and bond. You're like, what mm-hmm. do what what? Like just giving other people the chance to learn, and you know, bringing bourbon back down to a an an accessible commodity. Mm-hmm. You know, something that is very easy to obtain. Um, and that's, you know, there's still so many cheaply priced bourbons out there, but I don't know, like it's tough to argue for, 
you know, expansion of brands and and increase of prices when um there are still some really solid products out there. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like um I feel like we're seeing, you know, a little bit of a shift. I would even say it seems like the market right now is headed either towards um there's a split, there's like a hole that's happening. I, I think a year or two ago, I would say that people are buying in this hole. And now I actually feel like we're getting away from this hole. There was a, there was a, a, a price like that, like a hundred dollar bottle or something like that. It's like, Hey, there's like this kind of market for stuff that's right in here. Like you got to get above your threshold and then like things are good. And like, now I feel like there's a lot that's in that, but in turn, I feel like I'm seeing people go either more towards the daily drinker type of pour or the crazy prices on things that we're seeing now. There's like, there's a yeah. lot that's still sitting in this middle, but I, I feel like people shy away from buying in that middle now in favor of the two extremes. But I, but it doesn't, they're, they're not mutually exclusive though. Like what the existence of one doesn't mean that the no. other cancels no, it no, no, out no. you know or no, not is canceled all. out and and yeah i mean the fact if people are pulling towards the two extremes all the more reason why why they would have one for the other because there's you i'm not going to take i'm not going to take a 250 dollar blue run or uh you know uh uh william heavenhill and make batched old fashions with it or like you know, to, there's certain applications I'm just not going to use certain things for. And, and if that middle central area is actually starting to dissolve a little bit for people buying more of the, the Shelford dailies again and this, then they're going to say, this is my, this is my, I got home from work and I don't give an F. And then like my, this is when friends are here or it's something special or it's the weekend. Yeah. And and I'm, this is not this is not backed up by data. This is not saying, hey, this is metrics that I've pulled and like so I'm saying something like this. This is not that. I'm just saying like in my my own Brian Bikey observations, I feel like I'm seeing that. I feel like I'm seeing a pull away from single barrels a little bit, and instead it's like why why instead of buying ten single barrels, don't I don't I buy um something crazy in a bottle and know that I can plan on a couple of backups in my budget. For when that runs out to keep to keep chugging um not not chugging in terms of like just well chugging, i mean do but, it you know do what you want through but yeah that's <laughs> right be healthy <laughs> be responsible that's right, <laughs> that's right. This, this is all this is all to say and 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 i think that you know at, <laughs> at least within uh the scope of timbip uh, the, the the past like month has been a little tumultuous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've made some big comments about <laughs> some private releases that ruffled some feathers. Um, I don't ever want to be so removed from, you know, being excited about bourbon. Mm-hmm that I'm so cynical all the time because I'm not like, I don't want it. I don't find value in constant cynicism. Mm -hmm. It's, it's tedious and takes too much energy out of you. Same reason I don't like holding grudges. Like, (laughs) look, I'm not cynical. I just think that there's a certain group of people who can't call themselves a bourbon enthusiast anymore. Okay. No, 
Uh. No, I, my my argument, I think, just leans more towards that definition is constantly evolving and gets murkier and murkier mm-hmm. the more the the broader that this spectrum gets. Um, yeah. it in and I know that <laughs> what we're kind of landing on is not having actually answered the question, what is a bourbon enthusiast now? But I I do think that allowing for it to kind of exist on its own and, and to, you know, be more amorphous than just, you know, one, one take or another, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. I I, I genuinely don't think it is. I'd love to hear feedback from, Yes. The listeners of the show Please. too, like getting back to what I said early on, like I, I, I don't think it can be defined by just you and me in, in the capacity that we are. I just love to like, I'd love to continue to build what other people's thoughts are on that. Um, yeah. It, like as uh, using multiple voices from multiple different areas, you know, we'll do it. Given we'll the do fact it. that if they all listen to the podcast, they're still a little bit focused, but that's okay. <laughs> I think that that look the listeners of this is my bourbon podcast are very evolved, deep thinking, and uh, empathetic human beings. I will I will mm-hmm. say that that's my <laughs> that's my takeaway. Um, but yeah, you and I should do a follow up to this as well uh, yeah, in the cool. future, just with some uh, some outside perspectives and and thoughts and opinions uh, as well. Yeah. But we uh, we were trying to figure out a if. Uh, and be what we were going to do a review on uh, the, for for this episode, and you know, I I kind of <laughs> wanted to play towards your Four Roses guy uh, strengths, your leanings um, mm-hmm. initially, and then you brought up Small Batch Select, which mm-hmm. I've not done a critical look at since it came out in. 2021 so mm-hmm. we're gonna do kind of a a revisit of sorts of uh of four roses small batch select uh this episode um you first of all uh i i do really appreciate you being like the four roses guy i like I, hey thank I, you yeah it it there are a ton of people who know a lot more about me, but you know, I'm I I'll take a t- I'll take a title. I don't mind. <laughs> um, I feel a slight bit of disadvantage. Like I I to be completely transparent, there are I have not had a lot of the the single barrels, which is normally what I drink this year. So there's I feel a little bit of disconnect from the pick program right now, and like yeah, what what the trends of things are you know at present. But that's okay. Price, that's not what we're talking price about. Price has today. gone up. Price has gone yep. up. I think that's uh, <laughs> the most the most important thing that you uh, need to know right now about single barrel picks from from Four Roses. But uh, you had to make a stop to grab this bottle as well uh, on well, the way over to the studio. Yeah, I made a different stop than I planned to. So my bottle, um, uh, Four Roses, has a has a has a pretty special connection uh, for me. So I. I would take my dad to a lot of Four Roses uh, events, and it was a brand that I really enjoyed. We we went to the event um, together when um, Small Batch Select released, and um, we got a picture. I don't have it, obviously, to show on here. We got a picture together. Um, he 
passed away recently. And so I always usually drink small batch select um, and like, you know, in like honor of, of him or like whenever those things come up. But Four Roses just in general, by no part of, of anything that they've done has just like it wasn't really a product that he drank. But there were very limited times that I felt like we had something like together uh, and Four Roses has been a part of that. And so um, this bottle, the last time I shared this bottle was with a bunch of his um, old um, veteran friends um, that I, me and my mom went and shared some of uh, uh, some bottles with them last year in town. And so the bottles at her house. So I was going out to drive to get that and realized I left all my microphone stuff at the house. <laughs> so then I was just on then I was just on with some of my my bar guys like, hey, do you have this on the bar? Can I buy a pour and do you have a bottle I can put it in? And so I had to I had to shift to that and actually go downtown to Merle's Whiskey Kitchen. <laughs> Shout out to Merle's Whiskey Kitchen if you're in Louisville, Kentucky. It's one of my favorite places to eat, but they have an awesome bourbon selection. That's where I got uh, a sample of it so that I wasn't late for the podcast. <laughs> uh, well, I actually had not had a bottle of this uh, for a minute, and so I uh, I mean, I just went out and grabbed one last night at a liquor bar, and I, I think it's still... It's still consistently been about the same price. I don't think that it's really fluctuated too much, mm-hmm. but uh, fifty-five dollars, I believe. Yeah. Um, and so, little... and you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting about this is lately, you know, SLB Bourbon Bar. You know, if anyone is like into the bourbon YouTube stuff, I'm pretty sure they recently did one where they did like a, they compared this to the most recent LE. I'm a big fan mm. of their limited releases, but they were kind of taking it from the perspective of. Hey, this is more readily available and this is not, you know, how, how do you, you know, I love the way that they just so easily could, you know, do some of those breakdowns down to earth. And when you and I were talking about this, you know, you loved this bourbon when it came out, I won't yeah. speak for you, but, um, it's cool. Cause it, it has some things that play into what we are talking about. And in terms of enthusiasm and not everyone having the same accessibility to something, but here is a product that in in the markets that it is in is usually readily available. And what some people would say is like a, a limited edition-esque flavor in a yeah. readily available package. And, you know, you were saying too that on that on that review, people were getting a little bit up in arms because there was that comparison between the LE and the small batch mm-hmm. select. And they're like, well, why would you even bring up the LE? I, I never going to be able to try that or get that. Right. And even anyway, if I could, I wouldn't spend the money on it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, I know where a bottle is in Lexington for 300 if you want it, but <laughs> uh, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. I, this, this, this year's LE is one of my favorite Four Roses products I've ever had. Um, oh well, well then you take it. But if well, I can't afford. I can't afford that right now. That's the. <laughs> if that's you don't, I will. It's it's too like so. I, my video. I thought I did a great video on it. By the way, uh, check it out, uh, Band of Bourbon. Uh, <laughs> but the, I, it, I love it. Um, now I will I really admit, too. Four Roses in general to me always sucks in blinds. Like I know people who are like blind it, like get the real result, and I'm like, man, Four Roses. It's a guilt. It's got to be a guilty pleasure for me then, because it usually doesn't fare well. Ellie's single barrels, whatever, they don't fare well in blinds, even though high rye products like MGPs do. But um, yeah, the the 2019 Four Roses is like one of my favorite bottles of all time, and this one has a lot of things that I like about that. Here, okay, 
I'll I'll ask you this then. Um, has the is the age of doing blind reviews dead? Oh, dude, I don't think so. <laughs> I think blinds. I don't are think so, I don't think so either. <laughs> blinds are so great, and the thing is, like, if anything, blinds like <laughs> I think blinds are so fun. I think they're eye opening. I think that I. I think that people should always have grace because it is there's no right or wrong answer. You are allowed to like different things different times. You know what I mean? I think some people are like, oh, gotcha moments. And, you know, we can always post things like that. But it's like, you know, a blind is a blind and whatever you like that day. And sometimes you're something could be off. And I think blinds are super fun and and they're humbling, man. They really are. Yeah. Um, So six and seven year old. Four Roses, I, uh, mm-hmm. VK and F, Ye Strains, uh, both mash bills. So six different uh, individual whiskeys that go into the blend of Small Batch Select. Um, I think... Arguably my favorite still, recipes. VK oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm big on O. I'm a big O guy. Mm-hmm. That did... Yeah. Anyway, big old guy. I'm a big old guy. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I've tried with the O's. They just they they just don't hit my style all that much. I'm sure V's and K's. I'm all about. F's I do. I do weird, love V's. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I've never. So we we went through and did the uh, the ten recipe tasting kit as well. Um, mm. A couple months ago at this point. Uh, and really, I mean, I'd never had the chance to do that. We we reviewed the uh, this year's LE on that same episode too, so it gave us a nice little perspective to uh, bounce off of For with sure. all that. But yeah, I'd never been able to sit down and do all ten recipes uh, in a row. But very eye opening, I would I Definitely. would say. I think I think we were the most sour on. On Q and K, I think okay. Q and K were our two least favorites. E's or um, V's? Do you know, or did it not matter? I didn't. It didn't matter. Um, we we struggled with wild man. Yeah, we we struggled with with both of the mash bills. Um, but uh, it it's funny how even though I mean this doesn't have my favorite recipe in it how much i just love this product um Mm -hmm. it's it's so accessible i do think that it is such a great showcase of how insanely well four roses despite all of its different mash bills or excuse me all of its different recipes um can be so harmonious Mm -hmm. within itself like as a as someone who regularly drinks roses, I I find myself sometimes in different pockets. There's sometimes where I'll taste them and I'm like, oh my gosh, do you notice the nuance? Like this one's got these have so much more vanilla, or these are these are more floral, or these oh yeah they're they're more robust. And then it'll get I'll go through phases where I'm like, dude, I'm too close, and they all just taste like four roses. Sure, like, yeah. Like, like I I could try to pull if I just pull back a little bit, I'm like, nope, like that. I'm hyper focused, but it just tastes like four roses. But yeah, I mean, uh, people hate to use the term sometimes balanced and smooth, but you know, for as spicy as they can be because of the the, the rye content, 
they're they're pretty dang you know smooth for what they are also so taking into consideration that argument of this is the like le adjacent uh pour or bottle from four roses mm-hmm. do you think it it does that for for people, do you think that it, it scratches that itch enough to where if you're like looking for something a little bit more, maybe not rare is the right word, um, mm-hmm. but a little bit, yeah, more limited edition. Does this kind of do it for you? Um, do you think it does it for so, other people as well? So it's still proofed down. You know, it's what, 104 yeah. proof, mm-hmm. but it's very rich. And so I know some people that, you know, even... 104 proof sounds like a lot. So I think it drinks big like what you would want, but is still relatively low. So for people who who think limited usually means cask strength, I don't think they're going to taste this and be like, this doesn't taste cask strength to me. Like it's pretty full. And then when I think about products that are, like when I think about limited products, I did this the other day. The other day we had... um, Shoot, what was the pour? I think I think we had the new Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. And then... What was it? I think I was thinking... Oh, man. No, yeah, yeah. We had Elijah Craig Barrel Proof, and then we had, like, Michter's 10. Mm, and Michter's okay. 10 is a lot lower proof. But I think I just started to put it in my head. This is not just This is not justification for any distillery. I'm not saying that, but, like... I realize that product, some products that are in a more accessible price point, because they're in an accessible price point, they usually are allowed to have rougher edges. Sure. They might not be for imbalanced. And what a lot of people may not be able to taste when you get into an LE is usually refinement. Mm-hmm. That's very hard to de- describe. And I'm not trying to say that in a pompous way. But like I... I think from a couple of side-by-side tastings of things I've done or like William Heaven Hill, for example, it's like one of my favorite product, like product lines that Heaven Hill does. And there's usually just a refinement to those that you don't notice in the brashness of Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. Or, you know, there's a brashness to the younger beam products that they've refined a bit in even these Hardens Creek, you know, things that they've put out. And it's hard to put a dollar amount to somebody whether refinement matters to them if the flavor <laughs> tastes pretty much the same. So right. that's going back to this pour. Often when I think about refinement of a pour, though, usually it has a really good finish, a really long, satisfying finish, and it does have a touch more maturity. I still find that this pour has spice and some heat, but I think it hits into some of the barrel char that I love about Four Roses, older Four Roses, it has a really long, pleasing finish. So I think people get an experience more akin to what they would think they would get in the LE, even if it maybe doesn't have the maturity that I would hope for in something that I would prefer to drink. Or other LEs, like the Four Roses LE, will choose to also lean on depth and complexity that comes from age being added to it. You lose the age, but I think you get almost every other piece of it. Like one of the things that I love about this nose, this nose is really creamy and it reminds me of like a donut shop, which it rem- that reminds me when I first tried the 130th. Now, 
whether I said this during the earlier call or I said this on this one, my buddy who who shared that blade and bow with me, you know, he had come to town and we um, went and we camped out for the 130th release of Four Roses. And so I have very fond memories of 130th, 2018 release. And that was one that I remember being like, dude, this smells like glazed donuts and just tastes yeah. like kind of oaky, vanilla, caramel bomb. And this to me, I've always said, this is like the Stag Jr. of the Four Roses 130th. It yeah. kind of has those sweet pastry um, shop, not pastry, but like sweet pastry shop or like yeah, donut yeah, yeah. shop, like notes on the nose that kind of just draw me in really right away. Yeah, I, I, I think what I was going to get at was thinking about like the subjectivity of age and whether or not age truly is like a factor to be considered with limited edition products. Mm-hmm. Like if, if, if you can achieve that same kind of experience with younger product, even though, you know, six and seven year old is not incredibly young. It, it's younger mm-hmm. than, you know, a lot of some of these batched products that we're seeing on the market. Um, but, does does age really hold as much weight as it used to for yeah. for people? I I will say you know I like the con- I like the concept of age, um, but I have learned that it does not define things. I have tried some incredible young Tennessee barrels that are killer mm-hmm. these days. However. I, you know, because of what we said earlier with there being so much, I could easily just say there's as many Tennessee barrels that suck. I could easily say there's as many Kentucky barrels that, you know, so like, I think it's depending on what perspective you're in or what, like what's on your mind, you might be like, so I kind of throw it out the window. (laughs) I love, and that's again, another reason why I think blinds are fun. Like I'll try and put young stuff against old stuff. And, um, I'm also a big believer. It's not exactly neck poor, but like, I'm a big believer that something has to sit in a glass for. If you can get it there, like conversation is perfect for bourbon because it can just yeah. sit in the glass. Yeah. And I'm I would much rather come to a pour in a glass at least 15 minutes after it's been sitting in there. I I just think it's just usually better. Like even right now, sure, I've had a couple of sips, so my palate's a little bit more acclimated to this flavor. But when I was first sipping and I was like, man, there's there's like some orange zest, there's some heat to it. But yep. now I don't it's not as hot. And I just noticed that it has more of the like kind of um char lighter oak notes not as intense as the older ones but sure you know i can i can pull up on those notes more because i feel like i've let it sit in the glass more and if you do that with your pores another reason why age doesn't matter all that much i forgot that's I, how that uh, conversation started. <laughs> yeah, it's, sorry. I got to talk so much. That was the bad <laughs> part about having you on a podcast. Um, and I feel like nowadays too, um, sometimes I find it difficult to pull apart what is oaky versus what tastes like barrel char and, and whether mm. or not I enjoy okay. one versus the other. Like there's some younger products that I try and I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't exactly call it oaky as if it's like a, something that's old, but tastes like it tastes like wood and it's kind of toasty and it's doesn't taste young and i like that 
Yeah. And th- it's a characteristic that I think young bourbon can pick up that can get a lot of the flavors that you would enjoy like an old bourbon would without the tannic potential. I want to go back to the initial impression that I kind of had about this in 2021 and naming it my, my best bourbon of the year. And, and you know, my, (laughs) my takes are not definitive, but um, I, I, I like this kind of like circular nature of this, especially now that, uh, you know, having this conversation uh, about this in uh, indirect correlation with the, the LE, why I was so floored by having a new addition to an already storied brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and why was it really 2021? I mean, so the only it reason had to have been 2019. The only reason I said 2021 is, which doesn't sound right to me. The only reason is because when I looked just to see if I had notes for this already. So if I did small batch select, I have this under my list of top available bourbons of 2021. So no, that doesn't mean. That doesn't exactly mean it came out in 2021, but on this list, I have top rare whiskeys of 2021, top 10 picks of 2021, my top 10 available bourbons of 2021. So I think I just, I just deduced that maybe it was 2021 because of that. It was, it was 2019. Wow. Why yeah. is it on my list? Of, <laughs> that's probably just when I decided <laughs> to put on the list because it's an available product in Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, so the, Reasoning the the way that I was kind of working back through it in my head was because I I interviewed I I haven't done a whole lot of like on site interviews since COVID, mm-hmm. um, and I interviewed Brent Elliott on site at Four Roses, and one of the things that I brought up was the small batch select and how it was like the fourth rose or you know whatever they were kind of calling it in brand speak yep. <laughs> at that time. And I was like, well, I didn't, I didn't interview him in 2021. It was, it had to have been earlier than that because, you know, I was doing so much more on-site work. Uh, pretty good. Anyway. Um, so in 2019, this was added to their, their full lineup. And I, I think I was so taken aback by the fact that, it did have that feeling of being very rich and bold and refined, but at a readily available kind of price point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't going anywhere. Like yeah. it, it just, it was a, a permanent addition to their brand. Putting this in, in perspective, uh, especially with, you know, this conversation in 2023. Um, I, I think this does really give me the like kind of final understanding of, of what I was kind of trying to say back then that 
yeah, it does have Ellie flair to it, but in a much more accessible package, you know, yeah. more available. And um, definitely price point. Oh, 100%. I mean, $55 for this, uh, it, it it almost feels like <laughs> it almost feels like a steal. Honestly, um especially when you consider how many 4 and 5-year-old bourbons out there go for 80, 90, 120. dollars Um yeah. but, you know, that's the benefit we have with, you know, a legacy brand like Four Roses that um they are able to you know they're making enough money <laughs> they don't have to like put something out with a huge sticker shock or anything that uh right. you know makes you really think twice about it um but this still i mean i i find just so much love and value uh in this in this bottle um and it's you know one of those that i i just need to have <laughs> i just need to have around uh more often than not but i uh i looking back trying to see when it when it did come out i realized that uh we have actually uh reviewed this twice on the show uh with the the lens of like our our rating system mm-hmm. um so i i don't know i don't want to go through the whole nose palette finish price of it all because that's <laughs> it's exhausting uh to me especially having done it twice before but it, this is just kind of reiterating that you know there is great bourbon out there uh to be found that isn't four or five hundred dollars but you know if you do spend kind of in that mid-tier price range you are going to find something that can satisfy so many different wants and needs as a as a bourbon drinker and and i just you know th- this is such an excellent well-rounded product out there oh yeah i mean i can't get either i, I feel like i keep pouring it and it still <laughs> has like a like a a barrel char or like like oaky funk to it that like great i mean it's like a grounding thing that's just mm. Mm. i like it i like it i like it a lot it's solid i mean and even i mean to be fair and this is not meant to dig on other brands but there are other brands that put out le's that like that aren't as good as this sure oh yeah absolutely uh so we spent enough time being serious and and dour uh on this episode that we're going to move into some of the fun parts of <laughs> of this in my bourbon podcast uh we're gonna start off by moving into barrel rings it's our call-in segment of the show where you can leave us a voicemail or send us a text message by hitting up 859-428-8253 uh listen to the voicemail on the show or we'll read your text out on uh on the show as well uh but we got one this week from our uh, recurring barrel rings champion i would say uh mr bill robarge what's going on boys i'm just sitting here watching perry's live i was reminded i needed to call in for my bell rings this week so i did it uh here while i'm watching you guys so how exciting 
Um, just wanted to say hi, see how you guys were going, doing, going, doing. Um, I am unfortunately having a medical procedure tomorrow, so I was no, no drinking tonight. Uh, but I plan on having a little bit tomorrow. Um, so let me know, should I be opening something new? Should I grab a sample or should I just pull, uh, an open bottle? Anyways, hopefully you guys are doing great. Um, yeah, enjoy the weekend. I'm going to go to Driftless Glen and get me their new American single malt. Excited for it. All right, boys. Have a good one. Peace out. Uh, I did not know that Driftless Glen had a new single malt coming out. No, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm here for the ASMs, man. Bill, I uh, I hope that you, uh, that everything went well with your procedure today. But uh, I would say... Open you something. Open something. Oh, hold! If you've been holding on to something special, whether it's a sample or uh, something new, uh, I would say now's as good a time as ever. If especially if uh, you know any any medical procedure, like even if it's just light anesthesia, is still like so nerve wracking. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean things can go things can go wrong as well. So, uh, you know, little victories you got through. Uh, hopefully you got through it. I haven't heard from you today. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed <laughs> until I have confirmation. Uh, what's your, what's your take on that though, Brian? Yeah, I, I kind of think it depends on the procedure and I don't need to know what it is, but like if you're all hopped up Pete. on something, <laughs> please drink water. Well, um, true. If, if you're, uh, but also, you know, it, um, it was a uh, it was penis reduction. That's what he was getting. <laughs> well, in that case, uh, <laughs> gr- grab your your favorite vodka seltzer and celebrate. <laughs> um, this is coming from someone who very much enjoys vodka seltzer. So no, no, man, there's there's always a reason to to pop something that you have been waiting to pop. Absolutely. So absolutely do it. Uh, we've kind of, we've kind of done a whole episode of high proof hot takes, so we'll, we'll skip that this week and move on to, uh, tips and bits. It's our segment where we recommend something for you to watch, listen to, read, just enjoy something that we've been, uh, going through and, and spending our, our leisure time with, uh, over the past week or so. But, uh, what, what kind of tips and bits might you have for people this week, Brian? Oh man, you passed it over to me first. Um, Do you want me to go first? Yeah. Why don't you? Why don't you? Okay. Take it, why don't you take it first? Well, um, the newest season of Loki wrapped up last night. Um, don't know if you're a Marvel guy at all, but mm-hmm. uh, it is easily the best thing that Marvel has done in probably about two years, uh, <laughs> which is sad to say from a multi-billion dollar franchise uh that it's taken them a solid two two cycles around the sun to figure out what they're they're doing with their their content Mm -hmm. um but yeah loki was incredibly engaging and just so moving and it it was one of the one of those moments where i was just kind of like oh this is not just a marvel product it, it's got merit outside of that as well uh, i think they did a fantastic job with it and highly recommend it especially if you 
I saw the first season just to, you know, get closure on a lot of these these characters that we were introduced to. Um, I've been playing a, the the last two uh, DLC courses for <laughs> Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on the Switch. Uh, it came out this week, so uh, I've been playing a lot of Mario Kart. Uh, I played some new characters, but my kids love playing the battles, and so oh, I, nice. you know, whenever a new DLC comes out, I never get to actually do anything because they don't <laughs> want to race, and so I'm like, can we please stop with I just want to race, the, the stars and just <laughs> can i just race a new course here, here, let me ask you some insider information ma'am yes i in older versions of mario kart it was yoshi on the mock bike and i was just cruising in crushing races and i know they mixed up with like the um the different like heavies and lights and like car and bike combos and whatever like Right. What, what do you what do you race? Like, what is okay. your what have you okay. found to just like be cr- crushing it? All right. So my go to my go to is Metal Mario. I go with the uh, it's I think it's called like City Bike or something like that. It's it's black with flames. Mm-hmm. Um, I just use the general like parachute uh, for the glider. Uh, and then I use, it's a red wheel. I can't, I, I don't remember exactly. I think it's called roller, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I found, acceleration is more important than speed. Interesting. On, on these games. Because the higher your acceleration, the more quickly, like if you're going around corners, if you're, if you're drifting around corners, um, you have a better like release um even when you're doing those uh like when you're tapping uh r on the on the controller as you're going over like a jump or anything uh coming out of that you have a better speed boost as well um but the the as long as there's like a good balance between um weight and handling uh mm-hmm. and then a higher acceleration than speed um yeah. that is typically where i find more i cannot believe i'm talking about this like it's like it's real racing but no, i'm gonna great. do it anyway i spend yeah. i've spent so much time playing mario kart 8 because well, <laughs> so what i did was you know I, yeah last night i played as funky kong for the first time and i used a, a you know i used a different car than i normally do because it, it I, I don't actually even recognize it as a car that's available to me when i normally drive and i can i forget what letter it is but i you know, when you're racing and then whatever the button is, that's the lower button from where you're racing. I don't know if it's Y or what it is. Like you press X to drive and Y is right below it. So it's the it's the the four button pad, right? Yeah. And so you're pressing whatever button it is to to go. And then if you push your thumb on the lower one too, you'll you'll take super tight turns. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I don't know about that. Oh my gosh. Oh, okay. Dude, it, I, I live and breathe by home. Let me look up look let me look up Nintendo. Uh, switch controller real quick just to get what this is. So you're on the um, so you you accelerate by the A button, right? right? And then um, if you if you have the A button and you hold the B button, you make these like quick like whip around turns. Really? Um, so whatever car I was I was in, I have to go back and do it. Whatever car I was in with. Funky Kong yesterday, I found myself, I would just, I could like press it and let go of it. And I would be doing 
huge, like almost 360 turns. So I would turn more than I planned it. And so I'm like, I'm like, well, there's something with the handling or the acceleration that's like way different than any car I used to drive because it is right. just whipping me around so much. But that's no, it's crazy, great, especially man. in battles. Cause like if I go past somebody, I do the A B thing and then you just go flip and you're going the other way. You gotta try it when you're racing. Oh, I I'm definitely gonna do that after we're we're done. Uh I was gonna say too that I uh I I had been wearing down the the Joy-Cons. I don't know if you can yeah, see you it are. super well. Um, but it's gotten to the point where the rubber has broken through, uh mm. like past where the actual <laughs> control stick is. Um, so I had to order a pair of replacement joy cons <laughs> yesterday, and these are going to be my, my backup, but I, uh, really enjoying the, the DLC courses, uh, for Mario Kart eight, but it's crazy awesome. that it's, I mean, it's basically over now, you know, that's like the, yeah. I can't believe the waves have finished. Yeah. The end of an era. So, uh, just going to keep playing Mario Kart for a while. Yeah. What about you, man? What do you have to recommend? So this is a this is a deep dig. I had listened to this before, but um, you know, one of the podcasts I had listened to before uh, called Reply All. It's by Gimlet Media. Oh um, yeah, there's yeah. A, there's an episode that I just in context. My uh, I was driving with a buddy uh, last week, and um, he kept getting they're not scam calls, but he kept getting these calls come into him. And every time he picked up the phone, he would interact with them differently. Like he'd be like, "No, I'm not interested. Hang up." And he'd be like. Oh, like, where are you from? He's like, really? I'm from there. But like, he'd like, leave, and then no, I'm not interested. Hang up. And then one, like, so anyway, and I was like, dude, I remember this whole podcast about a scam call. And so the episode is 102. It's called Long Distance. It's from the podcast Reply All. Okay. And um, this guy had gotten like a scam call and he was just really interested in digging up the story about it. And so he records all of these interactions that he has um, with the scam caller. And I'm telling you, it is like, you, it's really interesting to listen to. Um, it's really interesting. So I'll definitely have to check definitely, it out. Definitely just, something to, definitely just something to peg into if you've got some time to, nice. to burn. Yeah. I, I've been trying to spend more time uh, recently. Uh, just just listening to more podcasts again. Um, not that I like stopped, but uh, it's so easy to like get on YouTube and it's, you know mm -hmm. <laughs> just just pop on different videos. But uh, I just it's podcasting is such a wonderful medium. Not to you know to my own horn or pat myself on the back or anything, but <laughs> I enjoy it. I like it quite a bit. Uh, Absolutely, Brian. Thank you so much, man, for for being a part of this episode. Hey, thanks for having um, me. This has been a blast. Yeah, dude. Uh, this is a conversation, of course, that is ongoing. Uh, like we said earlier, please let us know uh, what your thoughts and feelings are on this. Uh, you can hit us both up on social media at Abandoned Bourbon or at My Bourbon Pod, uh, and we'll be happy to chat with you and reply there. Is there anything else you want to plug before uh, we we get out of here? Dude, uh, not necessarily, but uh, yeah, at Abandoned Bourbon on the socials. If you are interested in in asking about various whiskeys or whatever, feel free to reach out to me. Um, you can always browse things at uh, Sealbox, which I 
believe is drinksealbox.com, which I feel like I should know, and I do not know that. But uh, <laughs> uh, if you if you do any editing of this, then I can uh, definitely uh, look that up. No, I am wrong. Uh, that is at sealbox.com. So, you know, the okay. focus there is on craft whiskeys, but increasingly in a time where there are things that are getting too expensive, too difficult to comb through, um, or legacy brands are putting out expensive stuff, not that those aren't good, it can be hard to decipher. So if you're ever curious about something that's popping out from a distillery you know very little about, let me know. I might be able to go through my notes or maybe it's something I've had through here. Or if you're in the area, maybe it's something you could try. I think I, I don't remember if you had said this on the pregame chats or if you had said this early in the episode. But uh, as we were talking, the email for the uh, four gate releases did come through. So mm-hmm. almost like almost like clockwork. Absolutely, uh, but yeah, go check those out, uh, and you can also check out our Patreon, which is Patreon.com/slash/MyBourbonPodcast. That's how you support the show for as little as a dollar a month. At five dollars a month, there is bonus content over there, which includes the pregame chats, which comes out before every episode that Brian was a part of this week. Ooh. You want to hear a little bit more in depth on what he has been doing with his pr- uh, personal and and work life. Uh, he gets into quite a bit of that. Uh, takes a deep dive. Uh, and that's just the best way to support the show, other than telling your friends about it, sharing around episodes. If you have questions or comments, you can send them to shop at gmail.com. You can find all of our apparel and merchandise at bourbonshop.threadless.com. Get yourself a This Is My Bourbon podcast t-shirt uh, if, you, if you so want. And uh, leave us a five-star rating and review uh, on your podcast app of choice. See most of them, and uh, we will read them out here on the show as well. I think that does it for this week, though. Brian, again, thank you so much, man. Um, Absolutely. So glad to be here. It's been good. We'll see you all real soon. But until then, I'm Perry. I'm Brian. And this is my Bourbon Podcast.